Gracious God and Father, you've promised that your holy word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire, and it will succeed in the matter for which you've sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Water is a great gift from God. We're made mostly of it. We can't live long without it. And yet, we can't live in it. It is, to all of us, deadly when there's enough of it. And I went online this past week to um, answer this question. How long can we live in water? If you're out in the ocean, I'm not talking about being in a raft or in a boat. You can live for a long time in a raft or a boat, I suppose. But I mean in the water, how long can you live? And the answer is, depending on the temperature of the water, a few minutes to a few hours, maybe a day or two, and that's it. In cold water, you'll die in a few minutes, hypothermia. But, you know, let's be generous, and let's say that you're off the coast of uh, Honolulu. It's a balmy 80 degrees in the water. Remember, your body temperature is 98.6. The water's 80, you're losing heat all the time to the water. You can't live long in that environment. Hypothermia, again. And I, I read that even little babies, when you, know, you teach them to swim in a, in a heated pool, very easily they get hypothermia. Water wicks away heat from your body much more efficiently than air does. And even if you don't die of hypothermia, you'll die of exhaustion. After a while, dog paddling around, Nothing to eat. It's not an hospitable environment for us. So, Roman numeral one, letter A, we die if we remain in it for any great length of time. Point B, in scripture, the ocean depths are symbolic of chaos and evil and death. We see that. Uh, in the creation account, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless, this amorphous mass, and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. The first thing God made when he was creating the heavens and the earth was this large, watery mass called the deep. The Spirit of God hovers over the surface of the waters, but they are very inhospitable to you and me. You would not want to be there. Jonah chapter 2 I refer to. You know, Jonah is thrown off the boat into the depths and he sinks down and the seaweed's wrapping around him and, and he would be lost unless the Lord sent a great fish to swallow him up and to preserve his life. Only God can tame the depths, you know. Only God can, can ring them in and bound them and, and separate the dry land from the watery deep. Now, I bring that up to you today 
because the deep is very similar to the environment outside these four walls. Outside, wherever people gather in the name of the Lord Jesus, it is a deadly environment. And I, I refer you to point one under letter B. This is life outside of the garden. It's life outside of Eden. In Eden, there was the tree of life. And Adam and Eve could eat of that tree and all the other trees except one. And that would sustain them. They would be immortal because of that tree. But when they fell into sin, they disobeyed God. And they failed to respect the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They failed to protect it from themselves. They were cast out of the garden. And in effect, they were cast out into the deep. Because outside of the garden, east of Eden, is only, eventually, death. All of us are mortal. We have a limited shelf life here. Life outside of Eden, like life in the ocean depths, is inhospitable to us, and it is deadly. Outside of Eden, there's only pain and toil and death, eventually, eventually. And that's because, number two, access to the tree of life was prohibited. It was prohibited by God. Because it is not by human decision that we will be eternal beings. It's not by our efforts to make our way back into the garden and to eat of that tree that we would have eternal life. No, God himself would make the way for us to forgiveness, life, and salvation. He would provide a tree of life for you and for me, for sinners like us. Now, I share all that with you kind of as a prelude to the gospel reading for today. I want to set the stage for the gospel reading because the stage, to set the stage, you have to understand the danger that all of us are in, in the deep, outside of Eden. I direct your attention to the gospel reading on the back of your bulletin from Luke 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, these are catechumens. These are people who want to hear the word. Some of them may have been healed as well, but they wanted to hear what this man had to say. That's a catechumen, somebody who's a learner, a listener to the word of the Lord. He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Simon Peter. Notice, Jesus gets into his boat because Jesus has plans for Simon. He asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now that's good thinking. I don't know if you're aware of this, but sound travels very well over water, especially over still water carries. You can hear people out in a boat, all right? And so that's what Jesus is doing. There's nothing to obstruct the sound, you see. The water reflects it pretty well, 
and there's no trees in the way, there's no buildings in the way, and so it's a very good way to amplify your speech, to make yourself heard to a large group of people. So that's what our Lord is doing. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, think about that. Jesus was a carpenter. He didn't live on the lake. He was not a fisherman. He lived inland, in Nazareth. It's a pretty good distance from the lake. Peter was a fisherman. This was his craft. This was his area of expertise. How would you feel when someone comes up to you and tells you um, basically how to do your job? Well, there's a little bit of resistance in Peter. He says, Master, and remember that word, we'll come back to that. Master, it means boss. We toiled all night and took nothing but, see, see, there's the resistance, but at your word, there's the faith, he trusts the word of the Lord, at your word, I will let down the nets. Kind of reluctantly, I'll do it, I'll do it for your sake, because you say so, because you say so, that's all. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners, that would be James and John, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. You see, this is, this is Jesus. Wherever he is, wh whatever he does, it, it's over the top, right? You know? When, when he's with a crowd of people in the wilderness and there's nothing to eat except five little like pita bread type loaves and two fish, there's suddenly more than enough for everyone and there's plenty of leftovers, right? And when he's at the wedding at Cana, he turns the water into wine and there's more than enough wine and it's the very best. Wherever Jesus is, there is an abundance. It's characteristic of him. So the boats began to sink. But when Simon Peter, now he's called Simon Peter. It's kind of interesting. When he saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. This is worship. Saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. This is reminiscent of the first reading for today from Isaiah chapter 6, where, where Isaiah uh, sees this vision of heaven, and there the cherubim, the, the, the cherubim, uh, antiphonally singing back and forth, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. And what's Isaiah's response? He's afraid. He says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, you see. And so what does God do? He sends an angel from the altar of incense taking a live coal, that is a sacramental coal, from the altar and touches Isaiah's lips. And he says, see, your sin is atoned for. This is taken away your sin. What God, God's action removes Isaiah's sinfulness. 
then something strange and wonderful occurs. God speaks from the throne, and he says, who shall go for us? Whom shall we send? And suddenly Isaiah is there. He says, hey, here I am. Send me. Send me. And that's very much like the response of Peter in our gospel reading for today. There's this fear because he suddenly realizes that this man he is with in the boat is more than a man. This is God himself. And if you were standing in the presence of God at this very moment, you would suddenly feel very inadequate. You would remember your unworthiness and you would, you would want to shrink away. God says to you what he says to Peter in our gospel reading for today, do not be afraid. You don't have to leave my presence. You see, I've taken away your sin. Do not be afraid. That's an absolution. That's a pronouncement of forgiveness. You don't have to leave. You are fit to stand in my presence. That's the Lord. Peter now understands what the demons earlier in our previous gospel readings understood, that this is the Holy One of Israel that he is in the very presence of. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Notice he doesn't call him Master anymore, he calls him Lord. Divinity. For he and all who were with him were astonished. See, this is, this is what always accompanies theophany, a, a, a manifestation of God. There is astonishment, there's amazement, there's fear. They were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. This was beyond human ability. No one on the lake of Gennesaret had ever taken in such a catch. It was impossible. It was an act of God. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I've read that that, that phrase is used 366 times in the Bible. It's when God appears to people, when he sends an angel to people. Do not be afraid. It's used again and again. It's the language, again, of theophany, of God's appearing to people. From now on, you will be catching men. You'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, Roman numeral two. It's important to know salvation is in the boat. It's in the boat because Jesus is there. Salvation is where Jesus locates himself. It's where he locates himself. The boat Point A is the place of Christ's teaching. That's why Luther referred to the church as a mouth house. This is where the Lord himself speaks. He opens his mouth and he speaks through the readings, through the entire service. It's all just scripture. Through the minister, when the, the word of God is rightly divided, the Lord himself speaks. And this is why the church, this is uh, the cover of your bulletin for today, uh, there's a boat with a, a cross-type mast, okay? Uh, this is why the church down through the ages has been pictured as a boat, because this is church going on in our gospel reading for today. It's where Jesus is, where two or more gather in my name, he said, there I am in their midst. If you want to meet Jesus, you have to be where his body is. 
where his people gather in his name. And point B, the boat is also the place of confession and absolution. It's the place of confession and absolution or forgiveness. That's what absolution means. It means forgiveness. That's what happens here. To confess means to agree with God. We're, we're simply saying back to God what he's given us to say. That's the entire service. Prayer does not originate with us. It originates with God speaking to us, and we repeat back what we've heard. That's how we learn to speak growing up in a, in a home. That's how we learn to speak to God here. We repeat back what he's given us to say. That's confession. And that also includes when we acknowledge our sinfulness. We're agreeing with God regarding who we are. And we can do that confidently because we know who he is. He's the one who says to each of us, do not be afraid. In other words, you're forgiven, you're fit to stand in my presence because of who I am and what I will do for you at the cross. It's okay for you to stand in my presence, Jesus says to Peter. Jesus will employ Peter. Jesus will depend upon Peter and the other apostles. And Jesus says to you and me, do not be afraid. He will employ you and he will employ me. He will depend on us to bring others into the boat. Point C, the cross is the tree of life. The cross is the tree of life given to sinners. I quote Galatians there where St. Paul says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, referring to the cross, how crosses were referred to as a tree in the ancient world. And Jesus hangs on that tree for us. He bears our curse so that we might bear God's blessing and forgiveness and life eternal. Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. That cross is the tree of life for every man, woman, and child. Roman numeral three. Confession and absolution always lead to mission. Confession and forgiveness always lead to mission. We see that in Isaiah 6. We see it in our gospel reading for today. And I love the expression Jesus uses. This is point A. Men will be caught alive. Men will be caught alive. That's the Greek term. It's to catch someone alive. And it's used in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, uh, many times to refer to saving people from danger, pulling them out of the fire, out of, out of a dangerous situation. Because you see, the deep is inhospitable to us. Life outside of Eden is, is deadly. The life is in the boat. The salvation's in the boat. And point B, the nets are word and sacraments. His life-giving word, and that word is bound to the bread and wine in the Lord's Supper. It is bound to the water in baptism. These are the nets that God has given to the church to cast into the sea and to save people alive. You see, ever since we were banished from the garden, we've been living in the deep. 
an inhospitable environment, and we perish in it. We need to be caught alive. We need to be in the boat. Why? Because the boat is where Jesus has promised to be. You see, the problem today is too many people are running around with their own personal Jesus, their own idea of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Now, I've heard people say, well, my Jesus wouldn't do that. Well, my God wouldn't say that, Pastor. Well, your God doesn't exist. If he doesn't say what the Word is saying, he is a figment of your imagination. The God who exists, the true biblical Jesus, is in the boat. He is where he's promised to be. He is where two or more gather in his name. It's where the word is purely proclaimed and the sacraments rightly administered. That's where Jesus is. We, are, we gather where he's promised to be, not just any place that we choose, but where he's promised to be and locate himself for us. And that's the boat. And that's why the sanctuary is historically called the nave. It means ship in Latin. There's a lot of knaves. There's a lot of, you could gather under a tree in his name. There's the knave. There's the boat, you see. But where has he promised to be? Where has he promised to be for us in a forgiving, gracious way? It's among his people. As we gather in his name, acknowledge our need, and confess joyfully his ability to forgive. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.